it's fall and we can expect more coldness coming next on principles and policies Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, Vice Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels. I know that sounded like a weather report, but it's not. No, well, we could talk about the weather, too, but I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about now, right now. Uh, this is being recorded on the 21st, which is a Tuesday, um, and it's crummy. Yeah, well, you know, summer's going out with a whimper, it seems like, and fall's going to come in with a bang. Um, and that's fine. But, you know, when we get into fall, too, Chuck, we get into a lot of different things going on. <laughs> and one of the things that we're getting into is the return of policymakers, both in Columbus and in Washington, D.C., although it seems like they never leave, uh, that, that they're always there constantly. As uh, what, did, what did the uh, founders say about uh, harassing our citizens and eating out their substance? That's, that's right. That's, that's kind of what, it, that's that's what our government seems Declaration like Declaration of in, in, uh, Independence. <laughs> he, he hath sent forth swarms of agents to eat out our substance and harass our citizens. And harass our citizens. That kind of, th- you know, I think a lot of people have that feeling that that's just all government's job is now anymore, uh, both at the local, state, and federal levels, is to do just that. Um, and you know what? In some instances, they might just be right. Um, you know, this is the first time you and I have been live in the studio now for a few weeks. And yeah. uh, between the two of us, we've had a number of issues that have come up that have precluded us actually having a live recording. Well, it's live to us and recorded for everybody That's else. That's right. Uh, live we on could, tape, we, as they we used couldn't, to say. We, we couldn't even get the live on tape going uh, for a few weeks here earlier. So I want to apologize for a, a summer worth of, of reruns. <laughs> so hopefully we still have an audience left now. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be talking about today, because there's a lot of stuff going on both in D.C. and in Columbus, that people kind of need to get a get a better handle on and figure out what's going on. Uh, we have a situation, you know, Chuck, we're going into the fall, and this is the fall before an election year, because next fall, everybody's going to be running and up for election. You're going to have uh, not the president, so we don't have that big of a, of a run, but you do have all the statewide offices will right. be up. You will have all the legislative offices in the House and half of the le- half of the seats in the Senate in Ohio, and both and at, at well at the federal level, it'll be all the representative seats up, and one third of the Senate seats will be uh, up for for grabs, come in twenty twenty two. Guess what? We're already in campaign mode. We're already in campaign season. Um, I don't know if you are so blessed as I have been, and I say that with tongue firmly planted in cheek, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> of being uh, the recipient of some wonderful, wonderful information, making sure that I realize just exactly how thankful I need to be that Mike DeWine is Ohio's governor. Well, you know I've gotten them because I've sent you have. pictures of them. <laughs> now, I'm not getting them. Okay. My mother-in-law is. Okay. Uh, she lives here with us. Um and uh, her, she has an apartment down in the basement, um, and um, she gets these things, and, and she doesn't pay any attention. I said, "You're not buying any of this, no." And that's Mike DeWine's problem. Well, uh, okay, and and for those of you who may not be familiar with what we're talking about, well, first of all, count yourself blessed that you're not on the mailing list. Uh, and secondly, what we're talking about are now at least two. No, I think it's now three. 
that in the last month we've had three full color, full process, full page. These are eleven by eleven, eight and a half by eleven pages, printed both sides, glossy slick paper. Uh, the one I got was, and then there's the one that's a four and a half page by seventeen. It's yeah, a, right. it's 11, a by eleven by seventeen. Eleven by seventeen. Yeah. Fold out, basically from a a supposedly uh, neutral right. group called <laughs> Ohioans for Fair and Free, something or other. Um, I well, who cares what it is? It's it's a front lobby uh, pack. Yeah. That has been set up by DeWine supporters and or his campaign so, to basically act as a um, non-partisan or independent right, pack right. so that they can like go out and spend a lot of money to basically bolster a failing and flagging poll number of Mike DeWine. Because if you take a look at polls, DeWine is, he's not completely underwater just yet, but he's He's heading toward the bottom as fast as he can. You get can there. hear the water swirling. You can in hear the, bowl. the water swirling in the bowl. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so this, so there've been these three, at least three mailings so far that I know of. These big, slick, oversized mailers yeah. talking about how thankful we ought to be as Ohioans that Mike DeWine is our governor and all the wonderful things he's done. And, and I had to actually, I almost choked reading this about how much he's done for small business. Oh, right. <laughs> now this was. The same Mike DeWine who last year in 2020 pretty much decimated small businesses with all of his COVID nonsense. This is the Mike DeWine who two years before in 2018 raised the gas tax in Ohio so that the cost of fuel was going to go up, which Chuck, if you ever run a small business and you actually have to make deliveries or you have to use vehicles in order to get your job done or to find get your supplies in, Bingo. What does that do to you? Oh, my gosh. The price for... I just had some stuff shipped to me about the same distance I used to have. It came in from uh, <clears throat> uh, very close to uh, oh uh, Branson, Missouri sure. to here, which makes mm-hmm. it uh, so six, seven, eight hundred miles, something like that. Okay. And I used to get it from Atlanta, which is about... 600 700 miles sure the price has very close to you know, i realize there are differences between uh, lanes and costs for that and all that kind of stuff nonetheless the price very close to doubled sure and and again and that's not just a function of uh what it costs here to pick up fuel in ohio for for a vehicle or for truck and shipping but you know you also have the impact of well Elections have consequences. That's and right. Biden getting an office in 2020 and then immediately shutting down Keystone XL pipeline and basically opening up the door for the OPEC nations to be able to literally hold us over a barrel um, in regard to oil production, which basically is how you get gasoline in case you weren't aware of that. And so when they jack the price of oil up, the price of everything else goes up that's made from from that oil, including gasoline. Well, now that's the reason why, you know, just today before I came over here, I had to go and pay three oh five at the pump, you know, in order to get fuel to put in my vehicle. And that's down from three fifteen. That's down from three fifteen, but it is up from two from a, a I, less than a year ago at this right. time when it was a dollar. I think at one point I paid at low point a dollar eighty seven a gallon. The least I ever paid though was right around the same time, dollar ninety five. Okay, I happened to catch one where it was a little bit cheaper. Uh, so basically, last 
October, November, I was buying gas at a dollar eighty-seven. Let's say a dollar ninety a gallon. Let's just let's just be fair about it and say a dollar ninety. Today I'm spending three oh five. Right. Okay. Well, you know what? I didn't get a raise. Nope. I didn't get a cost of living adjustment, and I certainly didn't win the lottery. So therefore, what I'm saying is, is that now for every gallon I have to pump into my car to do my job, I now have to pay, on average, a dollar fifteen a gallon more than what I paid just less than a year ago, folks. I mean, you're looking at a seventy percent increase in the cost of fuel. Now, that gas was a little higher already because Dwine's. You know, gas tax had kicked in already. Yep. But it wasn't quite as bad, but you compound it with everything else. And you understand that, you know, it's, it has an impact. It has an impact on a company's bottom line. It has an impact on their, on the cost of goods that they have to use for their businesses. Because if it costs more to get gas in, in the diesel fuel in the tanks to get the vehicles to get, to get the things from, say, the shipping lanes to, the it, the stores or from the shipping lanes over to you, somebody's got to pay that cost, and usually it's the guy who's on the la- who's on the latter end of it, and ultimately, folks, that's you, because small businesses have to still earn a profit in order to stay a small business and not end up a small bankruptcy, so therefore you're paying more for these policy decisions being made both at the federal and the state levels. It's amazing to me the disconnect that people have. They don't understand that when that when a producer's costs go up, your cost goes up. Yes, the, it's it's, it's a, a tri- you talk about a trickle down economy, that's what is trickling down is anytime the cost of doing business increases, the cost of goods sold from that business must increase to a certain extent because folks not every small business is a charity. They're not they're not there giving out freebies or taking losses continually so that they can provide you with something at a cheaper rate than what you or at a rate you you want to pay or a cheaper rate and somehow they're getting subsidized for giving it to you cheaper. That only happens with foreign governments. When, when they dump stuff onto our shores, how they get subsidized. Small businesses only feel like charities to those of us who, who run, run them. them. Yeah, right. because everybody's like, can't you give me a better discount? No. I have to, I have, I have to feed my family. Mm-hmm. I have to buy more product. Well, and I, that's I, what people don't understand. Right. I have to buy more product, and the price just went up. And I ate part of it. But I have to pass along the rest. And, and the point is that people don't get that you you may, you are eating part of it. You got to understand, folks. The vast majority of small business owners are just average people like you are. And if they their costs go up, the last thing they want to do is just completely dollar for dollar, cent for cent, shove that onto their customers because they know that that's a way to lose customers and lose what you know stream you've got going right now of repeat business so oftentimes just like chuck was talking about sometimes you eat it a little bit yeah you you absorb part of the costs knowing that what you're actually doing is you're taking money out of your potential paycheck 
and maybe taking an employee out of the hiring stream because you can't afford them now in order to be able to provide people what they've been expecting, but not at a cost or price that's going to give them sticker shock. That's a hard balancing. It's a uh, think about it in terms of shipping. Now I use um, I use a broker sure. who who gets me the highest um, that uh, what they call a commercial rate. There, yeah. but the post office has a, like three tiers. They have counter rate, which is what you pay when you go to the counter in the post office. Yep. There's flat commercial rate and then there's commercial rate max and it's based on the number of packages and the sure. agreement you have with the well this company i contract with gets us that third tier because they aggregate because they aggregate yeah. uh so what that means is for instance people are like i want free shipping you can't have that and i'll tell you why i charge you seven dollars and fifty cents at the third tier if I send it in a padded flat rate envelope, because yeah. most of my stuff goes out are big. Yeah. Padded flat rate envelope, that's eight dollars. Yes. I just lost fifty cents. Yeah, you're just you're taking if fifty it, you're taking it, fifty cent per per that's package right. hit. If it has to go out in a regional rate box, that depends on where you are. And that can be and, anywhere up and, to like eighteen dollars, okay. can it? It can be cheaper than a padded flat rate. If you're in zone two or three, right? If you're if you're very close, right? Zone two or three is like maybe as far north as Detroit. But if but if you're like Chuck and you have a company where people from California, Hawaii, a lot, Alaska, Florida, Texas, oh yeah, Maine are all ordering from you. Well, that flat that box can be thirteen, fifteen, eighteen, twenty four dollars to ship. And remember, large, he's only charging seven fifty. Right. A large flat rate box to zone eight. Yeah. Is about nineteen dollars, okay. almost twenty dollars, almost twenty dollars. Yeah, and you're still charging the same seven fifty. Charging yeah. seven fifty. That's why you can't have free freight, even though Amazon does it. But the way they do it is by robbing their suppliers. I'll be quite honest. I've been offered to offer my product through Amazon, and I'm like, no, because then you take control of it. You decide how it goes out. You decide how it ships. You decide everything. The mm -hmm. only thing you do is say, well, then we, we want our 35 or 40% commission. You think that doesn't cost you money? Yes, it does. It does. Now, how can they get away with that? They get away with it because of volume. Somebody says, you know, if I'm selling quadruple what I used to sell. Mm -hmm. um, hang on. If I sell quadruple what I used to sell, I can cut the margin. True. This is one of the things about business that people don't understand. They really just don't understand that. How much things cost. There's a, there is a spot where you can't lower the price anymore. You can't. Um, people, yeah. people will come in and say, well, it costs you this much. They'll, they'll look at the bottom line. Here's what the product costs you. That's not what really what it costs me. There's a labeling cost. There's a storage cost. Mm -hmm. There is paying somebody to pick it off the shelf. Put a label on it and put it in a box cost. There are all kinds of costs. There's a tax cost because whether you think so or not, and I have to laugh at, at economic nincompoops like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez going, <laughs> I have to laugh about this, Barry. Well, I was going to get to she, that, so I'm glad you, yeah, I'm glad you went yeah, there because going, that was exactly what I was going to start going talking about. Going to the about. Met Gala, a tickets thirty five thousand dollars a piece. Tickets are thirty five thousand dollars per per for this gala. 
with a dress that has a message on it. That says, tax the rich. Now, we found out in this country, we've tried this method before. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, we found did. out in this country what happens. What happens? The rich move to a tax haven that you can't move to. That's right. They just move outside the borders. And they'll move their company outside the borders. If you say, oh, we're going to tax these companies. Yep. What happens? The companies leave. Companies pick up and I leave. I still remember when I was in Michigan, one of the a big toy manufacturer was up there. Lionel Trains. Do you remember Lionel Trains? Did you have a Lionel Train when you were a kid? I did, and I actually I still have a couple of old Lionel Train catalogs. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> those those are nice. Yeah, those are cool. Um, they were if they, they're for they're years. Done. I still had my black locomotive and uh, the five cars that went with it, and the and the track and all that. I don't know where that stuff got to. You know, it's one of those things. You move, you move, you move. It goes away. But you know what happened to Lionel Train Company? Michigan uh, was trying to improve, but it, it was still terrible up there. Lionel picked up and moved to Mexico. Yeah, I don't blame him. Um, why? Uh, the labor wasn't ridiculously expensive, and, and I'll be quite right up front. Uh, Michigan was a, uh, a union, a uh, very pro-union state until fairly recently. Yep. Um, and... This was work that could be done that, frankly, didn't require skilled labor. Now, I'll be quite honest. I don't think I'd want cars built by non-union labor, except in some places that have a strong apprenticeship tradition. Uh, But the reason that you go with union labor is because they do have uh, kind of a built-in apprenticeship program, and people learn their jobs. Now, if you bought a car recently, you know that it doesn't seem to matter where it's built. They they don't work. Well, that's true. I mean, uh, Ford is still trying to get Broncos fixed. I know people that have, that bought and paid for a Bronco six months ago, and they don't have them yet because the 21s have some weird problem with uh, sliding roofs that they can't fix. So they can't distribute the car. But in, in any case, let's go back to it. We got we got AOC wearing this ridiculous designer dress. Right. That says tax the rich to a $35,000 per person event. Now, when she was confronted with this, she said, well, the, the tickets were a gift. Well, I, I really don't care. How did you get that gift except by being a congressman? Which means you took essentially a gift that you're not supposed to take. Well, actually, if she took that as a gift from a corporation or from an individual, she has violated campaign finance laws. Bingo. Because there is a cap limit on the amount of uh, money that any individual or... And I'm sure it wasn't a PAC that gave it to her. No. An in-kind donation has a limit. Yeah, it does. And um, so... All this stuff, uh, she's going to go and show the rich people. Well, the rich people would probably have applauded her because they understand that they're the super rich and who gets exempted from the rules or basically finds a way to work around? They do. It's the super rich. Right. 
And trust me, when Biden starts talking about $400,000 a year, that number is going to drop significantly because they're going to realize that they can't fund their multi-trillion dollar wish list unless they tax you at your thirty dollars to $50,000 a year income level. Uh, probably about twice as much as you're getting taxed right Listen, now. Bernie Sanders came out with a spending package. Mm-hmm. If yes. you went out and confiscated every bit of wealth, yep. every uh, stripped the billionaires of everything that they own and sold it, mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders' spending plan spent double the amount of money he could raise from that. Well, of course, but that that never uh, bothers a progressive leftist. But okay? what we found out in the 80s, those of us who already knew this was going to happen, when you cut tax rates, you raise revenue. Well, to, yeah, that's, that's... You raise tax revenue. Why? Because, as Ronald Reagan used to say, and people used to laugh and say, oh, 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 oh he's an idiot, he's, a, he's an economic nincompoop. nincompoop, a rising tide raises all boats. This, this, uh, this is why Austrian economics works and Keynesian economics does not work. True. You can tax your way to prosperity is the idea. And we tried that. In the 60s and the 70s, and really before that, um, starting with the with Roosevelt in the in the 30s. Yeah, and actually, I don't want to blame Roosevelt entirely because it was Herbert Hoover as well. Herbert Hoover really sort of tried that on, and he and Roosevelt set was critical of Hoover for was not trying that. It was not going far enough. Right. That's true. Um, that uh, really, it was like uh, this was like the election of nineteen twelve, where uh, Teddy <laughs> Roosevelt and uh, William Howard Taft basically got into arm wrestling matches about who was the most progressive, um, leaving <laughs> leaving the <laughs> the other two candidates, who was uh, Eugene V. Debs, who was a socialist, who basically said, "You think guys think you're progressive? I invented it." Um, and Woodrow Wilson, who ran as a Cleveland Democrat. Which meant he was he was running as an economic libertarian. Mm-hmm. Now that did not work out. No, <laughs> he yep. he lied. Nope. Um, but none, uh, just the ancient history lesson. The fact is that we are going back. We are trying to re-implement what we had in the seventies. And if you remember, what did they call it? Malaise. Right. That the was economy, that was what was hooked into during the Carter administration. And the economy went dead in the water. It did. Uh, and we had gas wars and and long lines and rationing and you name it i tried to buy a house in december of 1980 Ooh, yes in a a small town in indiana southern indiana where there wasn't much economic activity anyway and i went into the bank and the guy kind of laughed he goes i know what you want to do he said uh if i could find money to lend you and i only wanted to borrow i think 35 five thousand dollars or something mm-hmm. now this is 1980 so it's different money than now it's at least double but i, I was only trying to borrow thirty five thousand dollars and the guy said look if i could find that kind of money to loan to you you would be paying 21 and three quarters percent interest oh i ha- got forced in march of 1981 i was in a car wreck and in june or july of 1981 i, ha- I had to buy a car my car was totaled i went out and I, I bought an AMC Eagle. You remember those, the four-wheel drive? Yes, I do remember those. I bought an AMC Eagle, and uh, I got a pretty good price on it. 
but I had to borrow virtually all of it. I mean, I had the settlement money from my accident. Okay. But I had to borrow a lot of it. And it was not a top-notch car. It was just something to get me around. And uh, that was 17% interest. That's what kind of interest rates we we weren't talking two and a half percent mortgage rates like we are now. Everybody thinks these things have been around forever. They have not. In the mid '80s, I, I think Jenny and I, when we bought our first house in 1987, we got a really good FHA rate, eight and a half percent. That was a great rate. Yeah, it was at that time. Yeah. Uh, there were more. You could get them lower, but you had to put down tons of money, and you had to do it conventional. You could get them for around seven or seven and a half. That's yeah, that's you, you what could. these people are trying to take us back to. Yes, that's, uh, listen, that's where we're heading to. Our good friend Tom DeWeese has been talking about this, and it, he, I know he's yelling at the top of his lungs, and very few people are listening. He's talking about the Great Reset. Yes. Folks, the Great Reset is a complete collapsing of the economy to rebuild it on socialist lines. Right, exactly. Basically doing us a... Uh, uh, a Venezuelan model. Yeah. And you'll see how that worked out. Yeah, that worked out really well, didn't it? Um, um, Venezuela went from being one of the richest countries in the world to being uh, basically a corrupt uh, a pr- corrupt haven for swindlers and, uh, you know, 100-plus percent tax rates and, uh, you know, dictators who line their own pockets. Yep. And this is what happens. You end up, instead of having a three-tiered economy where we have the rich, the middle class, and the uh, poor, and I, I, that's a continuum, by the way. There, there are not three distinct classes. The rich and the middle class, there's people that pass back and forth between, you know, those designations and the poor and the and the middle class. People pass back and forth between those designations. Uh, but I can tell you this, during the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, more people went from poor through the middle class to rich. And now we're, we see a lot of people going from middle class to poor. Why? Because... Of guys like Mike DeWine, yep. who are talking about all the wonderful things they did for small business, Ooh. and what they really did was make sure that small business went out of business. Yeah, that's true. Now, again, Mike's—you know—he's running for re-election uh, in 2022. He's got some competition. Uh, Jim Renacci, the former congressman who tried running for governor. Um, in the last cycle, four right. years ago, and then stepped out to run for in the U.S. Senate race and lost uh, to Sherrod Brown, is trying again. Um, you got Joe Blystone, uh, who is a, a you know business owner and farmer over in Canal Winchester, who's who's picked he picked up a lot of steam, Chuck, early uh, early on. Um, you know, yard signs out everywhere, and he had a running mate, Joanna Swallen. Well, as of a week ago Wednesday, he no longer has a running mate. And I'm starting to put pieces together. There was, let's say, a irreconcilable difference between <laughs> the two between the two candidates as to how the campaign should be going. And that um, perhaps there might have been some intemperate words and actions by a certain candidate who basically caused the, um, not, uh, the understudy on the ticket to say... I don't think this is a good situation for me anymore, and I'm leaving. And so they did. 
So I, I, I laughed. I think I was talking to my son the other day because we were seeing some, we're seeing some of his signs down in our neck of the woods. But they're the team signs. And I'm like, well, somebody's going to have to go out there with a whiteout or put, yeah, a little, right. put a little patch over it and write somebody else's name in if he finds, finds a new running mate. But and, and I know a lot of people like the idea of Weston, but you know what I've, you and I talked about this, oh gosh, three or four months ago. Yeah. And what did I, what did I predict? That he, yeah, you, that he would basically be all but out of the race by the end of October. You said October. Yeah. yeah. So I'm starting to think that maybe I'm still on track for that. Um, and, and that may be or may not be, but again, Really, what it gets down to it is, unless a, a candidate steps into that race, who has significant name ID, who has a source of money that they can draw from, and who is right on the issues, we're going to get basically establishment A or establishment B yeah. for the nominee for the Republicans. And the Democrats have got Nan Whaley, who's the mayor of Dayton, who does a mask mandate and then the very same day goes to a ball game where she's not wearing a mask and sitting around people less than six feet apart. The do as I say, not as I do kind of progressive, um, open gun controller, open homosexual, open socialist. Okay. So frankly, not a good pick. Probably the vast majority of people hire are not going to go for Nancy. Yeah, really, that's right. Unless we rig elections like we did in 2020. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. And am I? You think they'll kick us off WLRY? I don't think I I don't think they'll kick us off WLRY for that. But I think you know it's verboten to talk about the 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 election was anything but fair and above board in 2020. Anybody who believes that, I know people who have investments they'd like you to take a look at. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Water investments in in desert areas. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, Beachfront property in Arizona. Yeah. Oh my goodness sakes. So you know you've got all that going on with that campaign. And situations happening. You've also got you've also got a situation where we're also going to have a new senator, because as people know, Rob Portman has decided he's not going to run for re-election. Probably a wise thing. Anti-Trumper to the day to the day he dies, and basically got on the wrong side of Ohio, which basically went for Trump in the 2020 election by a significant margin. Yeah. Um, Matter of fact, we just heard not only did Rob Portman decide he's not going to run for re-election, we've also had another one who has stepped out uh, of the uh, election oh, yeah, race, yeah. a sitting a sitting member of Congress, um, because, well, he not only was anti-Trumper, he was one of the few, very few re- Republican votes in Congress who voted to impeach Trump because he hated him so much. And that's Anthony Gonzalez uh, from up in the Medina area. Now, Gonzalez was basically, a, he's a two-termer, um, but he is very, very anti-Trump arrogant. And I think finally he got, he started realizing as they started running some polling leading up for what's coming up to be the next election cycle, he's got an opponent who's endorsed by Trump, a guy by the name of Max Miller. There's also a third guy in that race by the name of Jonas Schultz. He's kind of like more like a Joe Blystone, you know. He's a populist kind of candidate, but doesn't have any kind of real, you know, serious backing. Um, but Max Miller ha- already had Trump's endorsement, and the polling was starting to show that Gonzalez was going what, nowhere was, fast. Was, was going to get beat in a primary, and so therefore, instead of getting beat, he decided he was just not going to run for re-election, and he just announced that this last week. 
so, so did, he, he, did he do the usual incite divisions inside the Republican Party and too many radicals? Toxicity and, and, yeah, yeah, toxic, and, and, and how horrible all yeah. of those. Well, you know, you've got that thing going on in the U.S. Senate race now, too, okay? The U.S. Senate race for Portman's seat uh, has gotten a number of people involved. Uh, I'll just list the top few, okay? There's Josh Mandel, who's the former treasurer of Ohio. He's running as a Trump Republican. Now, Trump has not endorsed anybody in this race yet. He's talked to a number of them, but he hasn't come out with an endorsement. Um, you've got Jane Temkin, the former chairwoman of the Ohio Republican Party, who was basically put in there by John Kasich. I get her campaign literature. And so she's not, yeah, she's not, and she's basically, her numbers are dropping faster than the temperature is. And the temperature is going to start dropping pretty soon here, folks. We're supposed to have a cold front coming in by Thursday. Um, you've got um, Mike Gibbons, who ran for uh, in the primary for a U.S. Senate seat and didn't make it against Jim Renacci. You have got Bernie Marino, who's a car dealer out of Cleveland area, who supposedly is really close to a lot of people in Trump's inner circle, but Trump still hasn't endorsed anybody yet, so I doubt very seriously he's going to get the endorsement. Um, and you've got J.D. Vance, who's famous for writing the book Hillbilly Elegy, Hillbilly Elegy about his growing up in Middletown, Ohio, which if you've ever been to Middletown, it's a little Appalachian, but it's just outside of Cincinnati, so it's not quite that Appalachian. Um, well, J.D.'s got a little problem. It's called Twitter. Yes. Because, you know, tweets never die, Chuck. You put up something on social media, it's there forever. Okay, I don't care what you do do to get rid of it, scrub it, anything. The only thing you can do is tick uh, Jack Dorsey off enough that he permanently bans you from Twitter That's and shuts right. your account down. And shuts your account off. But there's this whole thing called swiping and, and screen capture. And, well, J.D.'s kind of realizing now that maybe all those intemperate things he said about Trump and Trump supporters – uh, back in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, maybe when it, when he's looking in 2021 to actually run for a seat that's coming open, maybe he should have rethought that. Um, but those are things are coming out and showing that he's basically pretty much in the never Trumper camp. Now, we've had a new entry into this race. Now, I, okay, and I understand some people are going to say, well, wait a minute, there's another person running in that race. And it's like, yeah, I know. A guy by the name of Mark Paquita, who is another small, small yeah. ID, populist. name ID, populist type candidate yeah. who a lot of the Tea Party folks really love, but really who has no shot at, at it whatsoever. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to bust people's bubbles, but if you don't have some named ID or some way of raising yeah. serious cash... Or some way of actually, you know, creating media for yourself, you're not going to make it running for the United States Senate no. as your first run for office. Sorry, ain't happening. Running for president for your first run ever in public office. You know what? If you're that yeah. civic minded, run locally. Run for your township, run for your city council, run for something local, get some experience behind you, build up a base. Well, and build you, up a funding stream. I, 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 it's true. You, okay, good intentions don't get you elected to office. No, it, it just doesn't happen. These guys all think they're going to catch lightning in a bottle, too. And what they don't have is what Trump had, and that is a savvy on how to handle the press 
uh, 30, the, 30 plus years of being a multi-billionaire and knowing lots, of, lots knowing, of shits he could cash in lots of lots of management experience at a high level and not being beholden to anybody because he had the money that he didn't have to take it from lobbyists and special interest groups yeah. who then want to muzzle you to keep you from embarrassing them while they keep the money train flowing exactly okay you know that's you're right it's just it's just crazy town so, I mean, I love a lot of these people. And, yes, I, I'm fully engaged in wanting to have average citizens to actually get engaged in their government in more than a right. way than just making a phone call or writing an email. I really want you to, like, if you're concerned, run for something. But don't start by running for president of the United States or running for the United States Senate or even for Congress, for goodness sake. Go run for township trustee. Learn learn, for learn, some, learn the ropes. Uh, Tip O'Neill's old adage is perfectly true. All politics are local. And that's the best place if you really want to make change. You can't throw a teeny tiny pebble in the ocean and expect it to change anything. But if you throw that teeny tiny pebble in a small in a puddle... Guess what? There's going to be a lot of ripples. You're the teeny tiny stone. As the, I've never been in government before. I've never run politically. Right. I've never done anything before. Don't throw yourself in the ocean. It's a wasted effort. Throw yourself in the puddle, which is your local, your very local government. Even if that means just getting put on a board or some kind of you know special commission or something where you actually can yeah. meet people get some experience, make a name for yourself, and build up a support base and keep, oh, biggest thing, and you're getting some free advice from me today. <laughs> if you do this, always make sure you keep a database with every name and as much information as you can on them from phone number to email to contact to where they live to their voting record to whatever because that is your base. You build that, you build that database of people who you've worked with, you've talked to, you've helped solve a problem for, you know, you've gone and spoken to their little civic group or whatever. Every time you do that, you keep you get their contact information because ultimately those are the people long term who become your voters, yeah, who become your donors, who become the people that when you get into a position where you can actually make the difference you really want to make have tested you and are willing to back you. I would rather have that happen than to have... I mean, well, look at it this way. We complain about Mike DeWine. Mike DeWine started in local government. Mike DeWine didn't start out in the United States He's a Senate. prosecutor. He didn't, start out, he didn't start out in the Congress. He started out locally, and he worked his way up. He, but, was, a, he was a prosecutor who decided to run... As a Republican, because that's the only way he could get elected. In his, in his count, well, he was a Democrat, and the only way he could get elected in his county is to be a Republican, so he switched parties. I mean, that's just the way it is. But the point is, he didn't get to be like the guy he is today with all of the money interests fawning over him and everything else because all of a sudden one day he woke up from Joe Average to saying, I'm going to run for governor for the United States Senate. There's another disease, though, too. Well, okay. And I call this a uh, Kasich disease. Okay, well, there's that. Because... Again, I mentioned Tom DeWeese earlier. Tom DeWeese uh, knew John Kasich in the early days before he went to Congress. He yep. said he was the real McCoy. Yep. He really was a constitutionalist. He really was a conservative. And he said by the end of his second term in Congress, he had drunk from the Potomac, had absorbed all the toxins, and had become a guy who took all the money he could get from the Chamber of Commerce 
and from the uh, money bags guys in yep. the Republican Party, and this is what you get. The guy we have now, the John Kasich we have now, is a direct result. He's the monster. Yep. That you know, he's the Frankenstein that the Chamber of Commerce built. Right, and that's because he forgot where he came from. Exactly. Now again, he didn't just start running for Congress. He ran for the state house. I mean, I think he was like maybe I don't even think he was on a city council anywhere. He he got recruited by some of the power boys yeah. because they saw that he was a guy who was looking to be, you know, moving up. So they got him into the state house for a couple three years. Then they moved him to Congress. Right. He ran against a guy who was wildly unpopular. Yeah. Um, who had a Democrat who had taken a seat from a Republican by running a, a uh, you know, the, the Republican guy. I can't, can't even remember who to. There were two guys, Chalmers Wiley and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name They're, that represented Columbus. Columbus was split. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's split more now. But yeah. yeah. Uh, between two two reps. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he, uh, this Democrat, who was big, he was well-known because he had a TV show. He did a segment. Uh, uh, it was a point-counterpoint kind of thing. Sure. Bob Shemansky was the guy's name. Yep. He uh, he beat, uh, Bob Shemansky came in and beat this Republican who was superannuated and, and ready to retire. <clears throat> so he was wildly unpopular. I don't remember which guy he beat. Uh, it doesn't matter. It wasn't Clarence Miller. No. Uh, but uh, he, I'll have to look that he up. won this race. You and he went, <laughs> he went to Columbus, or he went to, to D.C., and everybody hated him in Columbus. Everybody hated him. And here comes along John Kasich, fresh face. He's talking the Republican game. He's saying all the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he meant them at the time. And, and, you, and you know who else was coming up at that very same time as John Kasich? And they all both went to Congress together. John Boehner. John Boehner. Wow. So, so, but okay, so we're taking this walk down memory lane just to say, folks, they've got all this stuff going on. But okay, here's the thing I want to get back to. In the U.S. Senate race, we just had yesterday another person jump in the race. <laughs> Ohio State Senator Matt Dolan from Cleveland. Okay. Now, if that sounds familiar, it should, because Matt Dolan, his father, owns the Cleveland Indians. Ugh. Okay, what just happened with the Cleveland Indians? That I don't know. I don't follow the, sports. The Cleveland that much. Indians at the end of this season are no longer going to be the Cleveland Indians. Oh, they're the Cleveland uh, Crusaders Cru- or something. I, some, forget, I forget what it is. Guardians. Guardians. Guard- right. It's they the Cleveland picked, Guardians. They picked a name that somebody already owned because they yeah. got hit by pressure from a special interest group. Cancel culture stuff, right? Right. So, what does Matt Dolan come out of, out of the box talking about? How he's opposed to cancel culture. Your family just renamed their entire sports team because of cancel culture. Okay, don't tell me you're going to fight against it when you rolled over on it in your own in your own personal business. When you could have said, "I I don't think so. Forget it." Dolan's also running as an anti-Trumper, and he's been critical of the negative impacts that Trump's had on the Republican. In other words, he's running as a rhino. He's running as a uh, he's running as a screaming screaming rhino. But he's running as a quote unquote common sense conservative. Now where have you Oh, oh now gosh. stop and think, Chuck. Where have you heard that 
act that moniker, that adjective added to the word conservative before. Well, that Who was... Who else ran as a common-sense conservative? That was Mitt Romney or uh, John McCain. Oh, no, keep rolling back because... George W. Bush. Which seat are we talking about right now? Senate. Whose seat? Oh, R- Bingo. Portman's. Guess who ran as a common-sense conservative when he ran? Well, that was a big deal because of Bush. Yep. Um, Bush, M- McCain, Romney. Right. Guess who's running as a common-sense conservative now because you've got Vance, who's basically trying to run on both camps. He's trying to act like he is a Trumper and he's a, and a never Trumper. You got Temkin, who's trying to kiss up to Trump, but is a John Casey guy. Too late, girl. Um, the only one in that the only one in that race that actually has a lane to Trump, other than Marino, who's got some inside because he knows some people in, around Trump, is Mandel. I mean, yeah. those are really the only two who've got a, a remote shot at getting a Trump endorsement. And, of course, Trump is playing in Republican Party primary politics much more strongly now than, he ever, than any other president ever has after he left office. And similar to what Barack Obama is doing in the Democratic exactly. Party. Exactly. But, you know, it's okay. Uh, and, yeah, God, God bless him. Let him live. But here is Dolan, who's a multi, whose family are multi-billionaires, who's pretty much a leftist. Now, okay, Matt Dolan's other claim to fame. He was only one of about four Republicans in the entire Senate who voted not once, not twice, but three times against the heartbeat bill. Common sense conservative? Yeah. Really? He's, he's, he's the senator who's voted not once, not twice, not three times, but four times that he's been in there for budgets that raise taxes and spend more pork. He's a common sense conservative, Chuck. He's also a guy who has been incredibly quiet on the whole COVID-19 issue and whether or not we can allow people to make up their own minds about vaccinations and masks and other things, or whether we're going to use the power of government and the largesse of government toward their big business uh, cronies in order to create mandates and passports Maybe not directly through government, but we won't stop them from doing it in the private sector. That's your Matt Dolan for you. Okay, so the first fact is that, you know, he comes in screaming that he's against cancel culture when he's actually, you know, shown full well that he's willing to roll over. He's like any other establishment Republican. I'll stand strong on my principles until somebody comes around and gives me a bigger payday. Well, that family shouldn't. They've been trying to figure out a way to get out from under Chief Wahoo for Oh, maybe a decade. Well, they they're getting rid of him now, but uh, you know, and that and that's whatever. You know, that's that's fine. By the way, I always thought Chief Wahoo was slightly offensive. <laughs> um, it's a joke. I, yeah. I I get it, but um, yeah, um, but that's not the point. The point is that this is a guy. This is basically uh, moving your wallet from your. Uh, right pocket to your left pocket yep. it's it's the net result is zero the only guy who really has a chance to be anything uh use useful that mm-hmm. i've seen from this crowd is mandel yeah that's basically and, yeah. and and i mean having met josh mandel and talked to him and mm-hmm. that kind of thing um maybe i'm prejudiced but i i like the guy's character well you know he's a straight he's jewish yeah 
but he believes that Christianity should have a full and fair hearing in the public square. Yeah. Uh, which sets him at odds with a lot of his family, who are hardcore leftist Democrat Jewish. Yeah. But okay. And he's a veteran, which is... U.S. Marine Corps, yeah. served a couple of tours. You know, he's he's got government experience. He was in the state legislature. He was the state treasurer. Yes. He's got experience. And, you know, and again... You pick who you need to vote for, but we're just kind of laying out to you like there yeah. are some there are some baggage with some of these people that you got to know. Well, about. here's here's the way this is going to work. Josh Mandel's they're going to try to freeze Mandel out from the Ohio Republican Party and the, uh, the Ohio or the uh, National Senate Campaign Committee. Yeah, NSCC and the Ohio Republican Party's endorsement process. They're already in a fight over that right now about who they're endorsing. Uh, and, and really, they're in a bigger fight because they just found out that during Jane Timken's tenure and leading up to now, that uh, the Republican Party finance uh, apparatus had been funneling Mike DeWine hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for his reelection campaign. And there are a lot of members on the state Republican Central Committee who are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. First of all, he's going to have primary and we don't and we're not supposed to endorse or to pick a horse in a primary <laughs> like they haven't done like they that. haven't done it before yeah yeah you ask melanie lenahan oh i know i know oh by the way bob shemansky's uh the, the incumbent that he knocked off in columbus was samuel divine samuel divine why i can never remember that name well you know divine divine, divine. You know, you're, you're, Sam, you're you're mixing them up i Sam get it, divine so. but uh, he and chalmers wiley kind of split yeah they did uh, because there were more districts then, because Kasich ended up with yep. with uh, the combined after the 1980 census, we lost one or two seats, mm -hmm. and uh, Kasich ended up with a combined district. Yep, he did. So you know you've got that going on. We also have what's going on at the federal level, which you know right now you have the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan. You now have the revelation that our U.S. military and the Biden and the Biden misadministration actually targeted and killed ten civilians in Afghanistan with a drone strike, after claiming that it was ISIS K and they were they had good intelligence that they were shipping bombs. Well, it turned out to be a aid worker yeah. for a U.S. based nonprofit charity trying to get fresh potable water to people in the area who didn't have wells and they were loading water bottles into a car and the guy and 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 the guy who was the interpreter and the interpreter's family were all in the car that the drone strike hit yeah. and they did it in the middle of a crowded area so they killed four other people as collateral damage 10 civilians chuck okay if that had been done under donald trump's administration the cries of, of having him arrested for a war crime would still be peeling from every media outlet in the country. Remember how Trump did it with the Iranian uh, terrorist uh, general, the general who was... Yeah, he nailed him, he and, nailed him, him and his driver, driver, and that was it. And that was it. Surgical strike, a true surgical strike. And he said, that's the way I want it done. I don't want anybody else taken out. I want that yeah. guy gone right but the biden administration is showing that they're completely their their foreign policy and military they're back to they're back to the total war mentality they're back to okay and the big deal about us pulling out from afghanistan folks in case you haven't been paying attention 
isn't so much about oh we didn't we lost support over there. It isn't so much about oh we you know we had all this intelligence saying that the Taliban was they they fell asleep. They didn't real they they say they didn't realize that the Taliban was building up that strongly and coming back in and could do it that fast. There's another little thing. Afghanistan just happens to be one of the world's largest deposits of lithium. Oh oh goodness. And when the Tal and and the democratically elected government in, Af- in, in Afghanistan was refusing to sign agreements with China who happened to have the largest single lithium battery production facility in the world. But then the Taliban comes in and immediately after the Taliban routes the democratically elected Afghan government, all of a sudden, there's overtures to China about what? Leasing lithium mines. Right. Guess which family owns a more than more than minor percentage of this Chinese company that makes lithium batteries? Oh, maybe. I'll give you, I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count. Biden. The Biden family. Folks? We may have just seen a coup to enrich the Biden family that cost American lives, that cost civilian lives, and that put America as a laughing stock before the entire world about how inept we are about protecting those we've said we'll we'll protect. Look, the fact is that Joe Biden is doing his best. This almost looks like a Democratic Party conspiracy to stop having Jimmy Carter be the worst president <laughs> on record. I, I never thought about that, but I, that, that, that makes some sense. <laughs> yeah, let's make it Joe Biden. Yep. What the heck? He, he has broad shoulders. He can take it. Um, honestly, I mean, it's like, let's see. Let's sit down and figure out. Give me three choices. The good way, the bad way, and the way that will play out the worst possible way. And they all sit around and come out with, let's take number three. How will this come out the worst possible way? Because everything they've done, there has not been a positive thing that you can name in this presidency. That's right. Okay. First of all, think about think about this. This whole mess with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yeah. What was the point? Biden's whole goal was to be out by September 20th. Uh, mm-hmm. Or by September 11th. By September 11th, not yeah. the 20th. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Except he wanted because he wanted to have a big parade. Look, we, you know, 20 years. Look what we did. We got out peacefully. Did he get out peacefully? Oh, no, no, because he's got guys like General Milley, who is clearly did not do well in his in his strategic training. You think? And uh, during his military career, he's a political general. He's yep. not. A military strategist. Otherwise, he would not have shut down the fortified air base that they had set up under the Trump administration to do the pullout, to get everybody out. Yep. Instead, they said, ah, we can fly everybody out of out of Kabul airport. Yeah, yeah like that's going to work. Which basically every strategist who knows anything about it said, that thing sits in a bowl. You can fire on that airport f- from in a circle about 270 degrees around it. It's indefensible. It is. And what they had was a place 
that was fortified that could easily be defended. Again, the more the more we're learning about it, it's sort of like what what the Defense Department and the State Department were saying about the drone strike. Never believe what they tell you at first, because ultimately the truth is going to come out, and it's going to and and, and right. I think it's going to show that there is an awful lot of problems with this misadministration. Um, I want to close out. I know we're about to get close we to out minutes, of time. About we're four getting, or five we're getting close yeah. to out of time. But as I mentioned to you earlier before we went online, isn't it wonderful when you're when like disparate interests that you have come together in such a beautiful uh, symmetrical way? Uh, it makes you feel good inside. And, and my two interests, two of my interests, came together in a in a media article. First of all, as most people know, I really am a big fan of what's going on in the nation of Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban and their government over there, who are self consciously reformed and christian in their belief they're implementing christian principles in the government and it's creating massive benefits for their country um marriage rates birth rates all all positive you know they're they they, you know they're subsidizing to get hungarians to start families because that's one of their keys is families are you know a major part of the strength of their nation and i get that They've blocked a lot of immigration of Muslims and others from the country because they feel it's a national security threat. Good for them. Um, as we're sitting here talking about taking how many Afghan refugees, how many border crossers, how many, I mean, and just planting them in state after state after state, mm, not a good idea. The other thing that most people might know about me if they've listened to this program long enough is my utter re- revulsion and loathing for one U.S. Senator Mitt mittens romney Ugh. of utah well mitt decided that after tucker carlson from fox news went to hungary and actually realized well man this is a really good model for maybe what we should be doing in the u.s well mitt romney gets on and basically says that uh, and, and i quote that a prominent tv pundit uh, extolling Viktor Orban as a model for us to emulate. And he's like, well, this model censors the media, ignores the will of the people in elections, and amasses wealth for himself and his cronies. Projection much, Mitt? No, no kidding. Proje- that sounds exactly like what you've been doing. Yeah. Okay. But the he's, but the fact is, and of course the prime minister, um, excuse, the, the foreign minister uh, of Hungary, Peter, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, this last name, <laughs> but let's just say Hungarian foreign minister basically fired back at Romney and said, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've launched a brutal attack on media freedom by attacking Tucker Carlson and democracy because that's what they're implementing in Hungary is actually a true Christian democracy. He says he judged an American television journalist because he expressed his opinions about Hungary, which did not coincide with the liberal mainstream media's lie against our country. He says... And the Hungarian government was accused of governing against the will of the people. Where the people's will is expressed in election. And he goes, and I remind Mitt Romney that we, he's talking about Orban's government, have been given two-thirds of the vote three times in a row. (laughs) In free elections. Okay, this is an election system in Hungary where everyone has an equal weight vote, regardless of their residence. I would say that's about as clear a mandate as you can get two-thirds of the vote in a country where everybody gets to vote. Mitt, 
Stop projecting your failure upon success. That's right. And folks, I would encourage you, do a little digging and reading about Viktor Orban and the Hungarian government and the move that they're making to create a true Christian government in, yeah. in Hungary. It is a it is a model that should be emulated. God help us, because right now we don't have anything anywhere near it. Yep. Well, that being said, we're out of time. And we did it on election stuff, even though we haven't been together, and there's a lot more. Uh, oh, yes. We've been running some stuff on the church and I would uh, I'm about to get it all posted so but uh, you, you know what we think and we want to know what you think www.principledpolicy.com that's principledpolicy.com and join us again next week for another principles and policies